0: Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Welcome to episode 286 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lawrence, Tim, Jennifer, Kimberly, and Debbie. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lawrence, Tim, Jennifer, Kimberly, and Debbie for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I had a very busy weekend, and in fact, next weekend is going to be even more busy. So, I'm going to share with you today Mary Pearl T. talking about Steps 8 and 9.
1: Step 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Well, we're now at a point where we're okay with ourselves because we've done our fourth and fifth. Six and seventh, and we're okay with God, and now it's time to get ourselves okay with our fellow man. That's where eight and nine comes in. This is the clearing up the wreckage of the past that we've done with others, and this can be a bitter pill to take, I'll tell you, because you see, I had hurt anyone that I had let get close enough to care for me, you know, and also I was very dangerous to be around when I was in pain. I'm sort of like a dog that's been hit on the highway. You know, a dog that's hit, you go try to help that dog, he'll bite you. Because all he knows is he's in pain. He doesn't know where it's coming from. And so he will lash out at whatever is there because it's there. And I have done that to people in my life. So my, my question was, why do I need a list? And by the way, I started this list when I did my fifth step. Because my inventory was fresh right there, and I wrote down a whole bunch of people that was right there right then so I wouldn't forget them later on. And I write them down because things I write down, I have a tendency to forget them or justify them away if I don't have them written down in black and white. So that's the reason I have that. Um, I remember that the steps and the results are for me. You know, yes, it clears the wreckage of the past so I can live better. Just remember, you take the steps to make you better. That's what it's all about. And my list I had to begin with myself at the top. Because no one had hurt me more in my life than I had. With my incredible ego and my stupidity and the things that I had done to me and to others, it was unbelievable. But I was on, no one else in my life had hurt me like I had hurt me. Just like I thought, well, my mother had hurt me so bad. Well, the thing of it is, I hurt me every time I went to a dry hole looking for water. You know, you keep going back to that dry hole expecting it to have water in it. It's a dry hole, people. And I did that for a lifetime. And I would blame her for being dry when it was me keep going back. I kept going back again and again. so And I had hurt the alcoholic. I had hurt my immediate family. I would hurt people I worked with. And I looked at that list in horror when I saw that list of how many people was on that list and the things that I had done. And how do you make amends for those kind of things? And so I was told to make this list, and so I made it with three columns. Now, later, and never. And that way I could get everybody on the list. Because if I thought I had to do a never today, I wouldn't put it on the list. So in order to be honest, I had to give myself that option of now, later, and never. Um, and then I hear people say, well, I'm ready to make an amends except. Well, you either are or you aren't. You've got to be very honest on a conscious level and quit justifying and rationalizing on that subconscious level. And God will have a way of bringing these things to me when I am ready to do them. It says that you make a list and you become willing. It's not too difficult. Make the list, become willing is a little harder. But when I see the results that I get and the freedom that it gives me to put this stuff that's hanging over you in the back of your mind, those things make a difference to me. Now, the purpose of the list is to repair the damage done in the past. You know, and the very first amends that I ever made, it was, I told them, I said, I'm not ready to make them amends. I'm not on that step, but it was a harm I did that day. And they said, go get it now. Go get it now before it stakes a long time. Because those things eat at you and they eat at your self-esteem when you know you've done. You know, there's a point inside where God lives when you know you've done wrong. It's called conscience. You know, it's called a conscience. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people around us. And it's harder to go to an enemy than a friend, but it's very beneficial when you can. You know, for whatever reason, whatever I did to hurt that other person, you have to go to any length to develop your close contact with your higher power. And you know, you can't get away free for hurting another one of God's kids. There's a price to pay. You know, it says, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. So obviously that's connected there. You want forgiveness? You need forgiveness, sweetie, or was that? Were you trying to blow your brains out because I'm talking about amends? What are you doing? But this is called maturity. This is where you take responsibility and grow up. You know, little kids want to do stuff and not have to suffer the consequences. Don't you know when you were a little kid and something happened in the house and your mama said, who did that? Nobody. You know, it was just a divine intervention, you know. Something happened, you know. You just you don't want to have to take the punishment for what you've done. But this that's little kid stuff. And here's where you grow up and you become an adult. And you take responsibility for the things that you've done. And God will bring each and every one of those to you when you're able to do it. It'll tell you that delay can be costly, and it was. You see, uh, I had a brother-in-law who was killed in an automobile accident while I was waiting to become willing because I didn't like him. I didn't want to do it, even though I knew what I'd done was wrong, you know. And then all of a sudden I had to end up doing a graveside amends, which I'll share about There are three kinds of wrongs. There's material wrongs, dishonesty, stealing, financial, those kind of things. There's moral wrongs, setting a bad example of behavior, not acting appropriately. And then there's the spiritual wrongs, the rebellion against God's will for you. You know, those kind of wrongs. And then we go into step nine, which is made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. He'll tell you that careful judgment, timing, courage, and prudence are the things you're going to need when you start making your amends in step nine. And remember, you make making amends, not an apology. It doesn't say, make direct apology. It says, make direct amends. You know, And we learn to be easy on others and hard on ourselves. Now, the first amends that I ever made, uh, my husband was going through treatment, and I had gone over to listen to some of his classes because I wanted to be terribly informed. <laughs> and they were very nice. They told me I could sit over there and keep my mouth shut, and I said, okay, doke. And they were talking about amends, and I thought, God, I can't wait for him to make amends. And uh, they were talking about how this just takes care of everything, and I thought, well, I need to make an amends to my mother, and then maybe mother will love me. So I left their arm. Now, I was not on the night step. So if you're here and you're a newcomer, work the step you're on. They're in order. They're even numbered. <laughs> that gives the smart ones of us a chance. You know. They're numbered. You don't do two till you've done one. You don't do three till you've done one and two. And if you're having trouble on a particular step, go back to the one before it because it will prepare you for the next one. So I didn't do that. I had taken step none. And I was running over to my mother's to do step nine. And here's how it went. Mama, you know, you said you always thought that I hated you. You were right. (laughs) Well, I was being honest, wasn't I? Funny, but mother didn't hear amends there anywhere. And I went on to say, you know, I'm sorry, I'll try and be a better daughter. And all of a sudden, I mean, mother reigned all over me. I left there just shattered in tears. And I went and I called and I was talking to my sponsor. And she said, what were you doing? She said, always call me first. She says, check with somebody else before you go to do something like that. Because she said, you haven't been in long enough, first of all, to be doing one. And she said, and now you're going to end up having to make an amends for your amends. Congratulations. <laughs> but not today. Okay. So time went along. Now, my husband, uh, when he quit drinking, he decided to quit smoking. He decided he was going to quit every defect he had at one time and be pure. God help you. And he quit buying cigarettes. He didn't quit smoking cigarettes. Now, I was a smoker. And so think of it. If you're an alcoholic and while you're asleep somebody drinks your booze, you're not going to get up and be very thrilled about that. Well, I wasn't thrilled when I would get up in the morning and he had smoked my cigarettes during the night. And I was out of cigarettes. And so one morning, I had just had it, and so when I got up and I looked in my cigarette case, and it was, the empty pack was sitting in it. And I said, you've stolen my cigarettes again. See, it's not that he smoked them, he's stolen them now. And he said, well, I just, I "I thought you quit smoking. He said, well, it's just, I said, well. I said, you stole my cigarettes for the last time. And I began to, nye, 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 nye. and he decided to walk out of the house. And I'm right behind him. Nye, 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 nye. And he got in the car and he says, I'm going over to your mother's. Well, now that adds insult to injury. <laughs> He's going to the enemy camp. You said, my mother liked him. She didn't like me. She liked him. You know why? He agreed with everything she said. <laughs> Lying dog. You know I mean? He would kiss up, but just irritate me no end, you know. So he's gone over to mother's and I'm just fuming. I am just fuming the phone ring. It was one of the girls from my home group and she said, how are you doing today? I said, I'm not doing worth a damn. She said, why? And I said, cause JD smoked my last, he stole my cigarettes. He smoked my last cigarettes. That's why. She said, oh, and I said, well, I'll tell you what I told him. And so I told her what I told him. She go, oh, I hate to hear that. And she said, well, uh, do you not have any money? And I said, well, yes. And she said, well, do you not have a car? And I said, yes. She said, well, why don't you go get you some cigarettes? Well, he should have to replace them because he smoked them. She said, he's not going without. (laughs) See, you hate logic like that. (laughs) And she said, and not only that, you're going to owe him an amends. I said, He stole my cigarettes. I owe him an amends. She said, oh, you talk to him like a dog. Well, he deserved that. She said, no, no. She says, that's not what we... And I said, besides, I'm not at that step. (laughs) She said, that step is for wreckage of the past. This is wreckage of the now. She said, you need to make an amends to him. I said, I'm supposed to say, I'm sorry you stole my cigarettes. (laughs) She said, no, you're going to say I was wrong to act like I did. Oh. (laughs) She said, amends don't say I'm sorry. Amends says I was wrong. Yuck. I don't want to do that. She says, well, you don't want to work the program then, do you? You're going to tell my sponsor, aren't you? <laughs> she said, I may find it necessary to report this. <laughs> so I got in my car, went and got me some cigarettes, smoked quite a few. I went over to my mother's, and he was mowing the lawn, at my mother's. And he saw me coming, and he um, sort of backed up and squared off. And I got up there even with him and I said, um, I was wrong. He said, What? I said, I was wrong. He said, What? I was wrong. And he said, What did you say? Now, my husband has a hearing loss. And I finally I said, I was wrong. I was wrong to jump all over you about the cigarettes. I was wrong. And he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you said that. You've never admitted you were ever wrong about anything ever. That's a lie. (laughs) That's a lie from the pit of hell. And he said, no. And and I just looked at him, and you know how your mind will be like a computer, and it'll go searching, 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 <laughs> searching, searching? Because I'm going to tell him when I said that. And he goes, not found, not found, not found. <laughs> I didn't realize that I had never admitted I was wrong to him, Ever. Because I knew I had been wrong. You know, we'd get in a fight and I'd make him have to, he'd have to be the one to end it because I would never give in because I couldn't be wrong. I couldn't be wrong. So he always had to apologize even if I started it. You know, I'm not proud of that, but that's, that was my sickness. And so, and I looked at him and he said that and I said, well, JD, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I've been wrong a lot. And he looked at me and he had big tears in his eyes. And he says, thank you so much. And you know, that began the healing of our relationship over just some little dumb something because I wasn't willing to make an amends because I didn't want to be one that was talking a program and not walking it. You know, the girl played on my ego. But it didn't make any difference why you do something if you do the right thing. You know, it's like people always say, well, my motive wasn't it. If you do the right thing, it doesn't matter. You'll get the right result. You know, it's about actions and results. It's about actions. And, you know, forgiveness is just a real, it's a simple thing. It just gives somebody another chance. Give them a chance to do better. Give them a chance to try again. Because don't we all want another chance? Don't we all want that? I had to punish people when they hurt me, you know. Didn't want to give them another chance. You hurt me, that's it. There is such a thing as if you go back again and again and again and again, then quit putting yourself in that position to get hurt again and again and again. Because sometimes, you know, like I say, wounded people are going to hurt. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurting have a tendency to hurt others, you know. And then with that brother-in-law, now what I'd done with him is while I had been out of the country, I never liked him to start with. Uh, when my sister got married, I was eight years old. I refused to go and be a part of the ceremony. I stood out in the yard. I didn't like him. And uh, later on when I was about, uh, well, it was right after Daddy died, so I was about 13 or so, um, he tried to come on to me. And one night we had been bowling, and my sister didn't go. She wasn't feeling well. And so we went, and on the way home, he he tried to make out. And I told him to get away from me, or I'd tell my mama, and she'd kill him. And he knew that. And so he says, well, we don't ever have to mention this. See, there's the secret. Somebody telling you, you don't ever have to mention something. And when I got home, mama could tell I was upset and she wanted to know what happened and I told her what he did. And she said, we must never tell your sister it would break her heart. And what that told me was that Dorothy meant more than I did. And then mother says, don't ever let yourself be with him by yourself. So she put all the responsibility on me. I'm 13 years old. That was hard. And so I got even. Remember, revenge is my thing. And so when I came back from being out of the country for five years, uh, I lived up here in Canada. I lived in Newfoundland. Aren't we lucky? Uh, <laughs> lived in Stephenville, Newfoundland. And uh, when I came back, my sister wasn't wearing her engagement ring, and I asked her, why not? And she said, well, that it had worn in half And that she had told him and he didn't care enough to get it fixed. And I thought, well, he'll get it fixed. And so I went to my brother in law and I mentioned to him about the engagement ring and that how my sister would love to have that. And besides, that engagement ring was so small, it was about the size of a gnat's ass. And she really deserves something a lot nicer. (laughs) And he says, well, I'm not gonna. I said, oh, I think so. I said, you know, I believe if Dorothy found out today what happened, and you know what I'm talking about, and about those two other girls that you had later on when I was in high school that I know about, I said, you know, I think that you wouldn't be living here. And he said, well, go get the ring and get how you want it fixed. And so I did. I got a nice ring. And... uh, When she opened it up that Christmas morning and she looked at it and she was so stunned and she was just so thrilled, I felt I was very justified in what I did. And so any time, any occasion came up, Dorothy got treated a lot better than she'd been used to being treated. Now, I don't know if she ever found out or not because I never told her, but I knew what I had done, it's called blackmail. And it's against the law. So my sponsor pointed out. And... uh, I said, but I didn't receive any money. And she said, no, but you got a certain amount of sex, But that's emotional blackmail. And she said, no, no. So I was trying to put it off as long as possible. And like I say, my brother-in-law was killed in a car accident. So I ended up out at the cemetery. Now, having made direct amends to people who are living, I want to tell you, it's a lot better. But... You do have a way to take. So I went out there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to J.R., and I said, you know, J.R., what I did was wrong, and I should never have done that. You were a creep. You were a louse to my sister and had been for years, but it was not up to me to punish you, and that's what I did. And so I don't know how to make it up to you, but I will never emotionally blackmail another person as long as I live. That's what I can do to change that behavior because that's a living amends. That's all I can do is not do that to anybody else, you know, that kind of thing. And so I made that amends. But, like I say, it's it's uh, it's better when you can do it face to face. Now, my first husband, well, we all know, I told you I committed adultery, but that wasn't a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> the bad thing I did was he was raised by a grandfather he couldn't stand. And his grandfather, uh, his mother died when he was 14. His father had left his mother right after he was born. And the grandfather was taking care of a son who was left over from the Second World War who was shell shot. And now here he was having to raise two grandkids that he didn't want. And so he was not a happy camper, and he was not a nice man. And so when he got sick and died, his sister called and said that he'd left a considerable amount of money to the both of them to share equally. And my husband said that he didn't want it. He said, I don't want anything. And his sister said, but it's to go to both of us. So my husband was in the military, and he was in temporary duty out of the country, and the cashier's check came. He didn't want the money. How many times did he say he didn't want the money? I wanted the money. So I put it in the bank and I spent it. I spent it in a month before he could get home. He didn't want it. Well, okay, I'm in the program. I'm going to have to make an amends. This could cause some problems with my current husband having to pay back thousands of dollars to an ex-husband. And so I'd been putting that one off. But on the other hand, he had gotten married, and he had a wife and a little girl, and uh, he kept in contact. Like I said, my husband's always like my mother. And he had kept in contact with my mother, and then I found out that his wife had cancer, and then she passed away. And the irony is, he was left with a child that was the same age as he was when his mother died. And uh, and I had prayed about this and see under the except when to do so would injure them or others. I'd say, if I was contacting somebody from the past and causing problems, and I don't want to cause any problem with his marriage, but you see my excuse was gone now. His wife had passed away. How could I cause him any damage? And then I knew the truth of the matter was I wasn't willing because of the money. And so I decided I'm going to have to do it but not right now, and I took a nap, and I dreamed about it, and it was like God was going, nee, 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 nee. and so I woke up, and I said, I hear you, I hear you, and so I got on the phone, and I called information in San Antonio, Texas, and I said, God, if it's not supposed to be, there won't be a number. There was a number, and if it's not supposed to be, he won't be home. He was home, but his little girl answered the phone. And uh, I asked to speak to her daddy, and she says, can I ask who's calling? And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know if she he knew he had been married before or what have you. And so I said, um, tell him it's an old friend. Mm, that is really stretching it. But when he came to the phone, we talked for a few minutes, and I told him I was sorry to hear about the loss of his wife and what have you. And I said, I guess you're wondering why I've called. He said, the thoughts crossed my mind. And I said, "Well, I belong to a fellowship that says that we need to clear up the wreckage of their past." And I have I need to clear up the wreckage. He said, "Are you an alcoholics anonymous?" I said, "No, why would you say that?" He said, "Well, I've been an alcoholics anonymous for about 9 months." And I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, now we have something to talk about." You know, so we sat there and we talked for quite a while. And I said, well, I guess you understand then. I'm trying to make an amends. I'm trying to do a night step here. And I said, um, I've put off making this amends for many years because under the accept when to do so. But I, I know today that the truth of the matter was I didn't want to be a hardship on me financially with my current husband. And, and that's the truth. And I said, but I do want to. I, first of all, I want to tell you I was wrong and I was not a good wife. And I could have been so much better to you. And I am truly, truly, I regret the things that I've done. And what can I do to make that up to you? What can I do to make it up to you? And he said, well, it's funny you call because he said, I've been looking at the night step as well. And he says, you know, I always promised you that house with all that furniture and everything in it. This is what I bought with the money. And he said, I want you to keep that. And he said, and I don't want to get paid for it. He said, I want you to forgive me for not being the kind of husband I needed to be. And why can't we just be friends? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I said, are you sure? I said, I don't mind. I said, I'll set up a payment schedule. I'll be glad to pay you back every dime. And he said, no. He said, I think this will be all right with my sponsor too. I said, well, if it's not, you let me know. You know? And so... That was how that went. And that to me was amazing. You see, I would never have thought God would have done it that way, you know. And, uh, every time I have been to San Antonio, I have tried to look for Him, but I can't find Him. So I don't know if he's still in the fellowship or if he moved back to Pennsylvania where he was originally from or what, but I've lost contact. And actually I've go to meetings all over the, the U.S. and Canada and I haven't seen him. So I don't know if he's out there again or what, but I told him, I said, how did you get into AA? He said, well, I retired from the military under chronic alcoholism. And I said, you didn't, your drinking wasn't a problem to me. He said, you didn't even know I was alive most of the time. I said, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Just stay out of my way. I really don't care. Uh, but when he went to Vietnam, he got into alcohol and drugs over in Vietnam. And he says, and that's what happened to him there. But, you know, every once in a while I think about him and I pray for him. That's all I know to do. But I don't have any bad feelings about him in my heart, and I hope he doesn't about me. But it set me free. And when I the thing of it is, that was the last amends I had on my original list that I had been carrying all those years. That was the last amends on that first list, and I was able to mark through it. And I can't tell you the feeling of freedom that came with being able to take care of all of that from the past. It it was unbelievable. My sister and I always had a good relationship. Um, Dorothy, that was real funny, she went to hear me talk uh one time at a local uh treatment center. And our, her comment on the way home was, don't you love me at all? I said, what are you talking about? She said, you don't even mention me. <laughs> I said, well, I don't mention Bobby or, or Bill either. And uh, they were both dead. And uh, I said... Uh, Dorothy I never had anything to have to get better with you because you always Dorothy was the kind loving mother I always wanted you know and I just thought that all sisters treated you like that it never occurred to me that that was such a neat thing that Dorothy was doing all those years she was being a kind loving person to me and so I I thought that was funny because later she does come into my story big time um I was a really bad person at the grocery store. I hated the grocery store. I find if you ever go to the grocery store and get your groceries so you don't go past the beer counter, I would. I hated alcohol so bad I wanted to chop down every billboard that had an alcohol advertisement on it. I, would just, I was just—I was honoring and if somebody—if a checker made a mistake on my bill, I was on them like a June bug. I'm here to tell you, I was just after them, and so it got to where they didn't want to check me out. And when I get up there with my groceries, I'd have to get the manager to check me out. Everybody had to go on break or pee. They didn't want to deal with me. I was a nasty person. And so uh my sponsor told me to make a living amends and to go in there and treat those people with dignity and to go in there and be nice. And she said, uh, you, you're you a nice person. You can be one. And I said, I guess I took it out on them because they couldn't fight back. And I was so angry and upset all the time. And so I went in there and I began, on the, how am I going to make amends to these people? You know, and... Um, because I get, first of all, I got to capture one of them at the at the at the checkout and so I started by going through with my cart and I was humming or skipping and taking my stuff and throwing it in the cart and being happy, go lucky. It was sickening, it was sickening. But I was trying to be different. It was different, all right, bizarre but different. I never do anything in a little way, you know. And so anyway, I get there, and after a while, one of them would check me out, and I would tell her how nice her hair looked or whatever, and, and I, I hope that you could find it in your heart to forgive me for being the asshole that I've been. And uh, you'd be surprised how when you just tell people, you know, that you were wrong and you shouldn't have been doing that, that they're, they're so nice and forgiving. And so I went on, I did that and we had lots of fun and the checkers and the sackers. And then all of a sudden one Christmas I got home and I'm going and putting my groceries up and there's a card in my sack. And I'm going, Oh my God, I have shoplifted a card. <laughs> I don't remember putting a card in here. And I look at it and it was from the sackers and the checkers telling me that I was their favorite customer and how much joy I brought in their life because of my attitude. Now you see, only God could have done that. You know, I couldn't have done that. I wouldn't have had the, the desire to do that. And, um, we had a lot of fun. And then one of the checkers told me one day I was going through there, and uh, I was getting some feminine pads, and all of a sudden the price on them, instead of being 249 was 429 And I thought, well, it's a transposition era in the system. And uh, she said, uh, let me, and she scanned it and everything. She said, no, it's coming up that." She said, we got a new assistant manager who is so anal. She said, have some fun. And I said, Okay. So he came over, and I'm explaining to him that this used to be 249 instead of 429 He said, well, a lot of times when we first get a product in, we for several months will carry it at a lower price. I said, until you get somebody hung up on it, and then you double the price. And he said, well, sometimes. And I said, well, is this a sexist price change? <laughs> and he said, what? I said, well, did condoms go up? He said, give it to her at the other prize." <laughs> you know, I told you I was waiting for J.D. to make that amends to me. I kept talking to my sponsor. Why hadn't he made that amends? And she said, is he sober? And I said, yes. She says, is he treating you differently? And I said, yes. She said, you're getting your amends. She says, you know, what more can he do? She says, he can't undo this stuff from the past. And she said, what are you doing? Well, I was waiting on him to make his amends. She said, no. So I went to him and told him that I hadn't been a good wife. He said, I don't know how you put up with me. And I said, well, there were days I felt that way too. But I said, you know, I wasn't a joy to live with. I was a very abusive person. I, I did a lot of things to you I shouldn't have done. And I said, especially in the physical violence. And I said, I really regret that. And he says, just don't hit me anymore. I said, I think I can do that. <laughs> it's come close a couple of times, you know. You want to go for his throat, but, you know, no, no, I don't want to have to go over that. And then uh, the, worst, the worst of my life was, mother, you know, how do you make an amends? And I didn't feel like I owed her one. I felt like she owed me an amends, for God's sake. She wasn't a mother. And uh, so I would pray about that. And, you know, when you become ready, when you become the student, God will put your teachers there. And I became ready, and I asked God to help me. And uh, there was this girl came, and she said, Accept the fact your mother is the way she is, and quit asking her to be different. But I don't like the way my mother is. I don't care. Accept her. You know, that's what was so good about coming here. Y'all accepted me the way I was. You didn't ask me to be different. You hoped I'd be different, but you didn't. You know what I mean? Well, you, you People, if you stay here, you will be different, you know. But you accepted me with all the warts and everything. And so uh, it's like you're, you don't know what your mother's been through. You don't know your mother's life experience. So accept her as she is and quit trying to change her. And I'm thinking, but I'm doing all these nice things for my mother, you know. My mother's house was not air-conditioned, and I, I went out. To surprise her. And I got her air conditioning and had her house rewired for air conditioning and she didn't want it. (laughs) She had it a week and said, take it out. And I'm going, oh my God, mama, that's thousands of dollars. And she said, I never asked for it in the first place. Mother was old. She was cold all the time. She didn't want air conditioning. And I realized later I wanted air conditioning when I was over there because it was hot. But at the time, I thought I was being so selfless, you know, and the truth of the matter was I was doing it to help myself, partly. And then I would buy her new appliances and things, and she didn't ask for new appliances. She didn't want them. She didn't want to change. She didn't want to learn how to use them. I got her a microwave. I'm not eating food with all those little dealer things going through it. No way. (laughs) You know, she's not going to do it. And so my mother would say to me, quit trying to change me. Did you know that's one of the greatest forms of love is when you accept somebody as they are and quit trying to change them. And I didn't realize I was trying to change them until she pointed out to me. Because, see, I was just trying to help her. Has she asked for help? No. Then quit trying to help people. That's where we are. We're always trying to help and do for people who haven't asked us to do it. And then we're insulted when they're not appreciative. You know, that's our fault. So anyway, I kept on. Kept on trying. And then the girl told me, she says, um, ask God to let you see your mother like he sees her. Well, I'd never thought about God looking at mother different than I did. You know, but God looks at each one of us as his children. You see, God has no grandchildren. We're all his kids. And so, I, you know, I began to pray that prayer. And in the meantime, I was told to act like a kind, loving daughter. What does a kind, loving daughter do? I don't have a clue. I've never been one. (laughs) Find somebody who has a good relationship. Now, Now, I'll tell you what. It's hard to find somebody who has a good mother relationship or the guy that has a good relationship with his daddy. There seems to be these guy, guy, woman, woman things going on. So anyway, I found this lady, and I said, You know, it's really agony, Mother's Day. It's agony. Trying to find a card that says what I want it to say and not what I don't want it to say because they're all so sweet and syrupy. And I want one that says, basically, Happy Mother's Day, bitch. (laughs) And so I would give her these shoebox cards. And one of them, I remember, was one of my favorites. says, The longer you bitch, the longer God lets you live. Mother's in her 80s. She don't like that. Um... (laughs) And I said, I just can't hardly send her one of those real sweet cards and all. And they said, what kind does she want? I said, one of them sweet cards. So what does your sister get her? I said, one of them sweet cards. But Dorothy will tell you, mother was different when she was a kid than when I was a kid. Because she was a lot older, you know. She was past child raising years, I believe. But anyway, uh, so I began to get those cards. I didn't want to, but I did. And my first one, my sponsor had the mail. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> And then after a while I did, and then one uh, fall day I was over at my mom's. We have a long driveway going in, and mama was way out at the back, and she was raking leaves. And all of a sudden it hit me, mama's short. Mama's short. Now why wouldn't I know my mother's short, for God's sake? I don't know. And it was like God said, because you always come as a child. And when you're a child, mama's big. And I sit there and it's like, and when you come as a child, you always come to get something. When have you ever come bringing something? When have you ever come to give something to your mom? Not a gift, this kind of thing, but love or acceptance or a hug or any of those things. You know, life is just a potluck. What are you bringing? And it's like, God. And as I began to walk toward my mother, it's like God let me see my mother's heart. And it was full of scars. And you know, I always felt like my mother withheld love to punish me because I wasn't the way she wanted me to be. And I looked and I didn't see love. And you know, you can't transmit that that you don't have. My mother had given in the best way she knew how. But she had not been taught to love. I had been taught to love where? Rooms like this, people like you. How? By loving me. Y'all loved me and taught me how to love. And if anybody was going to bring love into our relationship, it was going to have to start with me. And gosh, that was just overwhelming. And when I got back there to her and she was raking, I said, Mama, put your leaf broom down. And Mama said, What for? And I said, I want to give you a hug. I had never hugged my mother. And I gave her a hug like I would give one of you. And boy, she was stiff, and she stiffened up, and she was very uncomfortable, but I needed to do that for me. And then on, whenever I would go around my mom, I would pat her, or I would give her that hug until finally she would, when i get ready to leave, she'd stand up and lean in. She wouldn't hug back, (laughs) but she'd like those hugs. And I did that, and over a period of years, I began to feel different toward my mom. And then one day I was over at my mom's and she wanted to know, how come when your daddy died you became such an ornery kid? And I said, well, Mama, I was getting even with you for not loving me. She said, what do you mean I didn't love you? I said, well, Mama, you never told me you loved me. You never ever told me I did anything right. You just always found fault with me, everything that there was. And she says, Mary Pearl, I gave you a roof over your head. I gave you clothes to wear and food to eat. It was more than I had. You see, my mother had been raised in that active alcoholism, and her father was a mean, abusive drunk, and he would come in and knock everybody around. My mother had scars all over her body where he'd cut her with a pocket knife. When she was 13 years old, he came in and he tried to rape her, and she took a stick of stove wood and hit him in the head. And she ran away from home, and she was living in the streets. You know, it wasn't very popular in the early 1900s to be a runaway. She was living in a, she got as far as Memphis. She was eating out of people's gardens and sleeping in culverts till she got to Memphis. She was living in a box in an alleyway next to a boarding house. The lady who owned the boarding house was a Jewish lady who was pregnant, and she went out and told my mother if she would come in and help her, that she would give her room and board. My mother went to live in that boarding house. My daddy was quite a bit older than my mother, and he was the recruiting officer for the Army there in Memphis. He took his meals in that boarding house, and that's where they met. And when she turned 16, they got married. Now, if you had had to live like that, what would be the greatest gifts that you could ever give a child? Never having to worry about food, never having to worry about a roof over your head, never having to worry about having clothes to wear. You see, those were luxuries for my mom, and I took it that that's what parents are supposed to do. And I never considered what she had been through in her life. You see, it was always all about me. But that day when Mama said that, that became enough. And my mama looked over at me, and my mama said, Mary Pearl, I love you, baby. I've always loved you. And that hole inside of me closed up. That hole I'd had for a lifetime. And my mother got up, walked across the room, and gave me the hug A miracle from God. Because I was willing to do the work. And it took years. You know, that didn't come on in years, the, the harm that I had done all those years. And now I knew that I owed that mother an amends, And I said, Mama, what can I do to make it up to you for all the years of the hurts and the things that I've done, so many of them on purpose, what can I do to make it? She said, forgive me for not being the kind of mama you needed. And I said, Mama, I forgive you. Because that's what she wanted to hear. But I knew that maybe she was just what God had provided for me. Because, you see, that nurturing mama that I'd wanted all those years I had, it was my sister. And I never even knew it until that day. It had been my sister. Well, we're going to break for now, and then we're going to come back.
0: your thoughts. You can join our conversation. You can leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And a few of you did that in the last week. One listener writes, both my daughter and her husband are alcoholics and divorced. Each have 50% custody of their two children, ages seven and five. I see the children as much as possible, and the parents have always allowed me to have that relationship. In an attempt to practice the three C's and everything else I've learned in Al-Anon, I'm still very worried about my two grandchildren, and it frightens me that I have no control over their lives, their upbringing, or their day-to-day care. At times, they are neglected as far as good quality time given to them by their parents. The question is, what can I do? I am endlessly worried about the kids and look for signs of disturbance in their young lives. CPS has been called by family members when my son-in-law got a DUI. CPS did nothing, and they won't do anything unless severe neglect or abuse is reported. Are my grandchildren doomed? I don't know how to support them or their parents. I haven't been there. Um, I do know people who've been there. Certainly, one of the things you can do for them is to be there for them, to model good parenting, to provide as much quality time as you can that maybe they're not getting from their parents. I don't know. Let them know that they can always call on you, no matter what. Um, There may be other things you can do that, that I'm not thinking of, and I'd like to appeal to the listeners, if you have had a similar experience, please call or write and share your experience, strength, and hope with our listener. Thank you. Another listener asked whether the donate by shopping with Amazon link works in Canada. And as far as I know, it only works for people in the US, which has a whole lot to do with taxes and stuff. Uh, but thanks for thinking of the recovery show and use smile.amazon if you've got it in Canada to contribute to a worthy cause of your choosing.
2: Hi, Spencer. My name is Amy, and I'm calling to uh, give a response to Adam, who had a question in episode 285. First of all, I want to thank you very much for the show. It's really very grounding for me, and uh, I love it. So what I would offer is first a reminder that when one partner starts healing, often the other partner feels left behind or otherwise has negative feelings. And so, you know, going to Al Anon doesn't always make everything all better right away. But what it does is it gives us the tools to deal with life. So I would like to share uh, May twenty, the reading for May 20 from our book Hope for Today. And I'll just excerpt it here. The reading is summed up in the thought for today, for the thought for the day says, serenity is not about the end of pain. It's about my ability to flourish peacefully no matter what life brings my way, which I think also tied into the whole theme of that episode. Another part that I use to explain to people what Al-Anon is like is, uh, here's a couple parts from the rest of the reading. Al-Anon gives me the opportunity to learn from others how to develop the necessary skills For maintaining peace of mind, even when life seems most unbearable, the program helps me learn how to request, accept, and use the strength and wisdom of my higher power. And it also gives me the opportunity to live a serene life, free from the burden of responsibility for others' decisions. It teaches me that I can make choices to redirect my life toward personal growth and satisfaction. And et cetera, et cetera. It's a really great eating. I encourage everyone to read the whole thing. And I encourage Adam to get a daily eater or two because they really do, especially when you're new, they are little digestible nuggets that can help so much. Thanks again for the show.
0: Mo writes, Hi, Spencer. My wife has about nine months of recovery right now. She and I are currently separated and we have two young daughters who are six and eight. She seems to be doing really well with all of her relationships besides with me. Towards me, she still has all that anger and rage that she did when she was actively drinking. I'm struggling and not sure how much I can sit around and wait for her to come to the realization that the way she is treating me is not acceptable. I've implemented some pretty rigid boundaries when I'm being treated poorly. I simply state, I need to be spoken to respectfully. If she continues to be abusive, I hang up or walk away and end the conversation. What I'm looking for from you and your show is a talk on how long or what to expect in a partner as they work through their stuff in their dry drunk. As I stated, we've been separated for nine months, and I'm not sure how much longer I can wait for her to begin to treat me with kindness and respect. No you don't say, but you imply, I guess, that she's not in a recovery program, dry drunk, you say, which normally we apply that term to to people who are not working a program. I don't really know. You know, for me, it was more, how long do I wait for the drunk to end? And I found an answer in this program by working the steps, by going to meetings, by getting a sponsor. Not in that order, of course. Reading the literature, prayer and meditation. I found an answer that worked for me. As I said, I think in last week's episode, it took me a couple of years to get there. Took me a couple of years to get there. It took her a little longer to get to sober. So all I can really say is it depends. It depends on you and it depends on her. Maybe other listeners have experience they can share. Linda commented on episode 284 about acronyms and alliterations. I loved this episode. I now keep saying pause whenever my teenager walks into the room. My ex brought me into the rooms, but I'm currently dealing with my son who is 17 and self-medicating with marijuana. I tried to pause all conversation until serenity enters. Thank you. And thanks for that, that very on pause. Christiane writes, thank you, Spencer, for the last podcast. I've not attended a meeting in a while as I cannot find one in my area that I'm comfortable with. Your podcast helps me stay present in my recovery. I know I need to find my own happiness and contentment. I struggle so much with this. I keep tying my happiness to my alcoholic husband who has withdrawn from me emotionally. I wonder if other Al-Anons struggle with chronic illness I have fibromyalgia, which is tied to trauma and emotional pain. Grew up with an angry alcoholic dad. This would be something I would love to help contribute toward a future episode if you're interested. Thanks again, warmly, Christiane in Pennsylvania. And thank you, Christiane, for that note. I have no idea about chronic illness. I don't have it. I have friends in the program who, who do. I don't know if it's more than in the population as a whole. I guess I wouldn't be too surprised. Regarding not being able to find a meeting in your area, there are meetings that you can join by phone or online. I know there's a list of them at the Al-Anon website. So you might check that out because having that interaction with other people in the program was for me extremely valuable and I encourage you to, to find a way to do that yourself. A listener has a question. Have you done a show about how or what to do when living with an adult alcoholic who doesn't believe they are an alcoholic? I go to Al-Anon. I see the progression of the alcohol. I think I know the answer. I have to stay in my hula hoop, focus on my Al-Anon recovery, and let the adult alcoholic alone. I mean, I guess that's a question. Have you done a show? I don't think I have. I mean, no. I've done shows about living with an alcoholic who knew she was an alcoholic but hadn't found recovery yet. So, hey, listeners. Can somebody uh, share with our anonymous writer here your experience? I think what the program says is take care of yourself. As I said in last week's show, whether or not my loved one admitted she was an alcoholic, the drinking was there. And it was it was the drinking and the behavior around the drinking that the program gave me tools to live with. So there's, there, I guess there's one answer, one set of experience. Another anonymous listener writes, Hello, I'm a wife and a mother of addicts. Yes, that's right. My husband is an alcoholic and my son is a drug addict. I've just recently started listening to your podcast because, in essence, I am the one who has hit rock bottom. My main struggle is having to ignore my son when he calls or even pretend to not be home when he tries to come visit. I also try not to be home most of the time because my husband is an alcoholic. I do it because I can't bear any more hurt in my life. I feel so bad trying to avoid my own child, and I've even started a relationship with another man trying to seek some sense of relief from my my life. My husband just recently quit drinking, but now I am left with the guilt of being in a relationship with another man who I'm not in love with, yet he gives me the time, effort, and a shoulder to cry on. My husband does not know of this relationship, and I don't know what I should do. He has always been a see-no-evil, hear-no-evil type of personality, and sometimes I feel what he doesn't know won't hurt him. I'm a mess of confusion, guilt, and sadness. Please help. Yeah, I don't think I can, I mean, directly help, obviously, but you don't say if you're in a program. Maybe you are. I would suggest seeking out local Al-Anon meetings. Find somebody in one of those meetings you can trust to talk to and share with them, listen to their wisdom, listen to the wisdom in the meetings. I have had the experience of seeking emotional intimacy, elsewhere when it was not available to me because of the alcoholism. I never took it further than that. And yeah, it didn't feel quite right, except it did sort of, because I was getting something that I needed that I couldn't get somewhere else. And it's been a journey to come back. It's been a journey for me to come back and trust again. And I think that's, I guess, part of my my answer, my experience is, it is a journey, it doesn't happen all at once progress not perfection and you know that's what that's what my experience was again maybe a listener out there maybe you can share your experience with a similar situation thank you it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show but we do have expenses you can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like lawrence tim jennifer kimberly and debbie did and thank you again for your support in that way we have a list of recovery-related books, which I'm working on updating. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon, through our website, we will receive a small commission if you live in the U.S. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. And of course, if you order directly from Al-Anon, Al-Anon gets all the money, which they deserve. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening, we are here for you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.